Welcome to the Rust Belt Rundown, brought to you by Rust Belt Recruiting. This podcast is designed to shine a light on the meaningful work being done in Northeast Ohio and the surrounding region. We will convene manufacturing executives and Northeast Ohio business leaders for candid discussions about their business, regional happenings, industry trends, entrepreneurship, and more. Now, let's get running on The Rundown. Welcome, everyone, to episode 49 of the Rust Belt Rundown, a production by Workforce LLC. I'm your host, Paul O'Connor, and on this episode, we are joined by Jack Schron, Cuyahoga County Councilman and President of Jurgens Inc. Jack, good morning. Good morning, Paul. Welcome to the podcast. Appreciate you being here. Yeah, thanks. I'm looking forward to it. I love recording in the morning. We both have our cup of coffee. We're both ready to talk about a ton of things, the vast majority manufacturing. Let's jump into it. I want to talk first about how extremely rare it is to find someone that stays at a job for more than 10 years nowadays, sometimes more than five. You've been with Jurgen since 1978. You know, obviously with it being a family business, what has been the defining reason you've stayed at Jurgen's? throughout your entire career? Well, my career started before I got to Jurgens, uh, and uh, I started in the United States Army, had an ROTC obligation, so that was where my career started. And uh, then I went off to law school, and uh, my father came down with a radical mastectomy and cancer, and so desire to, to come back to the family business and see if I could help. In a family business, you try and uh, make sure you got back opportunities. So that's where I went to law school, took Florida Bar, had, had enough other paths out there. But when the health element came into play, I said, no, I, I really need to be back at the home front, see what I can do to help during that time period. So uh, that's what brought me back. And as a result, I and then switched over to the Army Reserves uh, so I could still keep my component in as I grew on uh, multiple paths in, in my life out there. So family business started by my father and grandfather. And when he said, can you come back and and pitch in. I said, sure, uh, I'd be, I'd love to. Uh, we came very close to staying in the practice of law, but just decided, no, this is a place where I really, really need to be. So that's what brought me back. So in doing some research for the episode, read a couple articles that you were, uh, you know, interviewed for. And one of your quotes was, the biggest challenge is that when you have the integrity of the two men who created something, you want to leave their legacy in a higher place. You know, there's a lot of pressure in a family business when, you know, the next generation takes takes over. How, how did you deal with that pressure when you transitioned? Well, we also had uh, the challenge uh, uh, of my my dad had to make the tough decision of uh, having two older brothers. I'm the youngest uh, in the family and two quality individuals in my two older brothers. One became a full colonel in the Marine Corps, which is a, a very difficult thing to do. The other was yeah. uh, a gunny sergeant in the Marine Corps. And so my dad um, uh, made a choice of the three of us. And still had their skills and talents we could utilize in the company. When that came down, I said, yeah, I do have a responsibility because these two men who created this comp- company started in 1942 in the middle of the Second World War. I said, I've, I've got an obligation to uh, not only to their legacy, but to all the employees uh, the, to, to do the right thing for them. So yeah, it, there, there isn't a night you go by, go to sleep that you don't think uh, I've got to carry on that mission. And now as we're moving into the fourth generation, trying to make that be clear to the fourth generation, and we even have some fifth generation in California working for the company. I love it. We're now approaching 80, we're 80 plus years in business. And uh, we're going to do a video clip that we're going to put out on as far as that information. I mentioned to our videographer, I said, you know, one thing you might want to pick up on is that 80 year companies 
there's less than 3% that started in 1942 that are still in business today. So that was a little bit of an aha moment for him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're in uh, you're in rare air. Okay, so you mentioned let let's talk about your military background. I want to talk specifically about how, in your opinion, that influenced you in the decision making, your decision making process, how you decided to run Jurgens. You know, how did that experience help influence your your business? I think the military, at least the military that I grew up with, uh, was you see an objective. I was originally commissioned in the infantry, uh, so the objective was you know theoretically let's take the hill. And everybody gets together. If you form the team, everybody uh, understands the, the, the mission. And from the, that moment going forward, it's not a democracy. There's, there's no discussing as to, uh, are we going to take the hill? No, we'd rather just take the valley. No, 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 that's not the, how it works. Our job was, to, was told by, in this particular case, by your upper commanders. But that transfers to your customer, uh, I believe, is as much a commander of your destiny as any military commander would be. And uh, so... I've tried to convey that message that that customer is deserving of that same kind of commitment that you'd make as a military officer. And unfortunately, from my standpoint, I was also able then to go to law school and learn the practice of law. And that's become invaluable as far as there's not a day goes by, literally, that you aren't reviewing a contract. Somebody's bringing an NDA, say, hey, can you review this non-disclosure agreement? Can you uh, help us with the, the contract terms and conditions? And then you move that all the way over to human resources and all the environmental issues that are going on. Uh, so it became a win-win uh, out there to have the, both the leadership from the military side and then the the legal side, uh, complimenting what I brought to the table. Awesome. That's great. Talk to us about the motivation behind the founding of Tooling University in 2001, and, and maybe just explain for people that may not be aware what that is. Sure. You know, sometimes uh, entrepreneurs, they get these crazy wild ideas. And uh, I had spent 12 years on my board of education in my local community. And you, one of the things that uh, local boards do is they get you uh, energized about new ideas, new concepts. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that uh, I was getting energized about was this online learning component. And it was just starting to take hold uh, in public education. There was still some resistance. Teachers thought that maybe this is going to challenge their space. And uh, and those who were forefront and looking out to the future said, wait a minute, this is going to complement my space. It's not going to confront. Yep. And my dad, who during the Second World War, he had rheumatic fever, so he could not go on active duty with the military. And so one of the things that he had to do is became a teacher uh, because you had this huge amount of workforce that had zero skills in how to make stuff. And so uh, when you see things like Rosie the Riveter, that, that was not just uh, makeup for TV and movies. That was the reality. If you were bringing in women from the workforce, you're bringing in uh, people with very low skills. And so he became a teacher and he taught uh, about manufacturing skills. And I always kept that in my mind saying, you know, we, we need to make sure we're transferring uh, that ability to take your brain and put it together with your hands to make stuff. And uh, so as time went on, you could see that we were not getting in manufacturing our fair share of the educational market. Mm-hmm. The dumb kids went to manufacturing, the smart kids went to college. And so that's, we, we kind of created this this phony line uh, that existed. And I said to my dad, I said, why shouldn't we train people. And I said, why wouldn't Jurgens be the site for training? And so we started with this idea uh, of using his brains to create what's called the fixture professor. So we're going to teach you how to work hollow clamp, do all the things that we do online. And we're going to use the online tools. My son had just graduated from college. He was 
futzing around with the internet. It created some internet businesses. And I said, hey, Chad, let's create this thing called The Fixture Professor. It was a caricature of my dad. And so we took all this talent. We th- we, we spent uh, probably almost six, eight months of, of developing this. And we had some of the best content you would ever believe. We took it down to uh, NTMA, the National Tooling and Machining Association, presented it to them. And they said, oh, wow, this is fantastic. However, you have missed blueprint reading. CNC machining, how to do math, how to do a cutting tool, how to uh, how to do a grinding wheel. So they helped they helped with the curriculum a bit. Oh my God, it was phenomenal. It was phenomenal. So I looked at my son and uh, my dad, and we were all three at the table. I said, I think we missed the mark here. I think this is a bigger opportunity than what we thought. Yeah. And so like all good entrepreneurs do, we put everything we did for that last year in the trash can and dumped it and started all over again uh, from scratch because we owned our own supply company, Jurgens Industrial Supply Company. It was very easy for me to pick up the phone and call the head of Dayton Progress and say, hey, would you like to share your knowledge about how to do punches? Uh, we were very easy to call Norton Grinding Wheel because we were a Norton Grinding Wheel abrasive seller for their product. Hey, can you share about how to do coating and bonding and how to trim a wheel? And Lincoln Electric is not more than... Uh, about a mile and a half up the road. I said, okay, can you help us with welding? And all of a sudden, we had this massive amount of content that came together from the experts of how to create tooling you. They they kind of liked the idea. And uh, so we started writing content and it too failed dramatically, even though we had experts. And you think, wow, how can that be? And I, I, I can see by your expression on your face that said, wait a minute, you got the best content in the world. Yeah. No question about it. But it was boring uh, because it was written as an engineer would write an engineering dossier. Yeah, yep. And uh, so one of the uh, writers from The Plain Dealer said, what were your biggest mistakes? I said, the biggest, biggest mistake was thinking we could write content. We know the quality know of the content. It. Again, we threw out all that content and now we combine it with professional writers and so that is when the light bulbs went off in the world and so we have a professional writer sitting right next to a professional content person and together uh, they created tooling you content and, and that's when it, it took off like a rocket I did some crazy things about our board of directors consisted of some senior members from SME our board of directors consisted of people from modern machine shop uh, all the major publications in the industry were invited to be board of directors members and all they had to do is share printing rights within their magazine or advertising space at their trade show and so we at a brand new startup company we had about a three and a half million dollar ad budget it's a good trade it was it was fabulous so we gave them a couple points of ownership by the way by design they were all potential buyers of the product of tooling you when it came time to sell they didn't know that they were being invited to the dance just so that they they could also be considered and guess what sme ended up buying it uh, years later it is now in swahili and tamil and in german and french and spanish that's awesome it's now the largest in the world it has over 800,000 students going to school at Tooling U. It's amazing. And it's, it's, it's a fun story. Yeah, it's fun. And our oldest son, he's still the driving force for Tooling U uh, at SME who bought it. And so it's still, I mean, I imagine it has a couple of different iterations over the years, but it's fully online? 100%. 100% online. But like anything, it was never designed to be the be-all and end-all because you still need to touch stuff. You still yep. need to pick up that micrometer. You still need to uh, be able to do stuff now. Lincoln has taken that to the to the nth degree. If you've seen Lincoln's virtual welders, you flip the helmet down and the screen comes up in your welding goggle wow. and you are now at the third story of a building. You are out in the middle of the desert on a Humvee welding the bumpers back onto your, uh, your military equipment. You are underwater doing welding 
and the stick that you have in your hand, the stick comes out of it digitally and you actually wow. watch it burn, 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 burn. And you, so they've taken the tooling you content, combined it now with a virtual welder. And so the acceleration of learning has just gone off the charts. That's uh, amazing. So it's amazing. And Chad, our, our oldest son who still runs it, has done the same thing with uh, virtual reality now so that you put your goggles on, you grab the tool, you grab the micrometer, you actually are doing all the measuring, you're measuring your part all in a three-dimensional space now. So that tooling has gone to that next level too. How cool is that? You know, I think every year with technology, there's always a new fad or something new that's going to come out. And I would say maybe four or five years ago, you know, virtual reality was the, the hot topic. And I think what's funny is that wherever we think it's going to go, you know, five years ago, it was, oh, we're all going to be in the metaverse. We're all going to be hanging out in these social spaces. And that hasn't come to fruition. But what it has done, you know, it always goes somewhere where we don't think it is. And going into the learning environment seems like a pretty logical next step. If you follow what Lincoln has done with their educational product, it has now been spun off within Lincoln as becoming its own profit cell. Wow. And so you've got a, you know, it's not quite home. They have a, a more moderate cost price version for maybe like a high school. And then you can accelerate all the way up into advanced welding that you would see in a place that actually is doing a lot of high, high precision welding in their own organization. And I've, I've done it. It's fun because you can actually, you drag the, you drag your, your gun. It, it feels just like it. You put your gloves on, you put your helmet on and you're dragging the, the welding uh, stick and the st- it's beating and puddling just exactly. And if you drag it too slow, it's going to make a big puddle. If you drag it too fast, you're going to have porosity. It works every bit. And in the learning environment, it used to be that one operator would have a instructor over, overlooking what you're doing. Because mm-hmm. that's as much you could do. Well, now you have a whole classroom and can see what the instructor, the student are all seeing on a big screen at the yep. same time. Oh, you know, Sally, she's really screwed up. Or Billy, you know, and they, they you know, chuckle about that because it's part of the learning experience. Yep. That's awesome. It, it's fun. It's fun to watch it. And I think it's only uh, limited to the imagination as far as where, it's, where I think it's going to continue to grow. Yeah. Okay. Let's switch gears a little bit. There was a segment on your website I wanted to talk to, and uh, it's essentially just a blurb that I wanted to get your opinion on. And it's says, Jurgens is committed to helping its customers achieve leaner, more profitable manufacturing and continues to add products and engineered solutions for an integrated approach to manufacturing efficiency. Those la- That last term, that's what I want to talk through. Talk to us about what that term means, manufacturing efficiency, and then how you help partners with it. Uh, sure. What we believe is manufacturing is a journey. Uh, there's not a destination in manufacturing. And we're, I think we're fast learning that. And I know that uh, you have some points about returning and uh, reshoring and things like that. Mm-hmm. I think this is, you can almost combine this into a single uh, answer because what we need to do is we need to say, okay, how are we going to improve the productivity? How are we going to improve the efficiency of each individual? How are we going to improve it for the operation? And so our job is to build technology into uh, my dad and grandfather made a nut with a stud and they would screw it down and hold a part down because you're going to mechanically tighten it down. Well, all those same functions can be done electronically, can be done hydraulically, they can be done pneumatically. And so we're going to try to give all those solutions back to the customer, uh, not because this isn't still a, a, a viable technique, it's just not as efficient for the operation. And one of the things that we we know is uh, we used to have maybe 18 to 20% of the population was involved in manufacturing, making stuff. Well, now we're down to about 12%. Uh, but that 12% is making actually more product than we did when we were 20 because of the efficiency and the productivity. And that our job is to hold stuff to position and clamp it and locate it in during the manufacturing process. And whatever we can do to help speed that up, but we're going to do that. 
And that's what manufacturing efficiency means. And so you guys have essentially become almost like the thought leader in the space of, hey, we work with all of these partners. We've learned that this new process works better. And then you share that with your partners that you work with. Yeah. And sometimes we'll try our best to get it patented so we can retain the intellectual property uh, that goes on in it. Uh, For example, right now, there's a whole uh, movement. We, We used to be mechanical uh, machines where we turned the cranks and handles and, and the parts would move around. We Then we put CNC, computerized numerical machine motors on these. And so we still moved them in the X, Y, and Z motion, forward, backward, up, down, left, and right. Well, now Envision, is, as I'm sure your audience is aware, is we're now moving into five axes. So we now need to hold the part in, in all these uh, different orientations uh, because that's what the customer's machine is doing. The machine is working in, in all these five different axes Uh, to cut and remove the part. And the objective is I want to grab it once. I want it to be finished and then let it go and then move it on. Whereas in the past with only X, Y, and Z motion, you probably had to grab that part three, four, five times to get the same efficiency you would get out of a one-time five axis. And so our job is to provide that five axis uh, clamping, locating, and holding. I feel like that could be an entire podcast episode in and of itself. <laughs> so we, I'm going to move on because that we could go down a rabbit hole with that. Thank you for listening to the Rust Belt Rundown. We'll be right back after a quick break. Welcome back to the Rust Belt Rundown. You mentioned reshoring. I also want to talk about what are you seeing? What are, what are some trends that you think 2023, 2024 we'll see in the manufacturing world? Sure. Well, I think that's it's pretty exciting for us because... You know, the pandemic, uh, I don't know, maybe some of your audience might have heard about it. We had a pandemic in the United States <laughs> and it tended to slow things down a little bit. Uh, but what we did is we learned that almost every one of the drugs that we take has 96, 98% touch point with some kind of a uh, of a international manufacturing and more than likely Chinese. We learned that some of our manufactured products are almost all uh, some touch point coming from overseas and the mm-hmm. big shock. I think a lot of us had is that here we are. We're we're doing a podcast. It's digital. It's electronic, and it's lo- everything we're we're using. Every tool we're using is loaded with computer chips. Whether it's the microphone I'm looking at, it is probably has computer chips in there. And we somehow let that erode to go overseas and didn't pay attention to it. And California, I mean, the, the reason they call it Silicon Valley is because they were making silicone chips. Uh, and they were that was the hotbed for all that. Well, guess what? It's all, all left. And so we're now making less than 12% of our chips. Well, that's got all kinds of ramifications. Uh, mm-hmm. Not only from how do we maintain our computers and cell phones and all the other nice-to-have stuff, but uh, having spent 28 years in the Army, how do we maintain our serious stuff, uh, mm-hmm. which is our national defense. And right now, uh, as we all are aware, the high-end chips are coming from Taiwan. The next highest-end chips are coming from South Korea. And then a lot of the, the blue-collar chips, the bread-and-butter stuff, is coming from China. And so we, we are not in a position to, to respond right this moment. Uh, people are waking up to that. And so the reshoring is, to Congress's credit, they created the CHIP Act, which mm-hmm. I hope is actually going to get used to make chips not just used for moving pieces around on the, uh, on the checkerboard. And what's going on with the Intel factory in Ohio, I think it's it's, it's exciting because uh, that's going to be the, one of the biggest ones in the country, probably one of the biggest ones in the world. Uh, so I think it's exciting that they are redistributing their chip uh, manufacturing. We had a wake-up call at Juergens uh, with uh, chip manufacturing being less than 12% of our total chip business in the United States. Uh, it was not a very big, big player. Well, people are now coming to 
to Jurgens and saying, hey, can you use your clamping workholding efficiency to help us in, in this piece? And uh, it was an interesting conversation because now they're demanding the same clamping and workholding you need for other industries is now being requested there. So we're shipping products to Texas, uh, to California, places that we never even had on our radar screen because we were not on their radar screen. So guess what? They are not on our radar screen. But now this whole reshoring is, is, is giving everybody a true wake-up call. I'm involved with some manufacturing trade associations here in Cleveland. And uh, one of the heads of that said, well, it's nice that Intel is coming to Ohio, but it really doesn't impact Northeast Ohio. I said, well, can we just revisit that? Uh, because the guy sitting next to me is leading a company called Swagelock, uh, which makes the highest precision valves in uh, probably in the world. The guy over here is leading Lincoln Electric uh, that is welding tubes and, and pipe and fitting. The uh, guy over there at Nordson is uh, doing stuff with the paints and the robots and, the, and the, all that. And guess what? Every single one of those is touching the infrastructure that it takes to build. You almost have to build a city below the chip manufacturing. And so they're they're all right in the process. And and they were making comments about 40, 50% of their entire business is going to chip manufacturing right now. Yeah, it's huge. The billions of gallons of water that people don't realize how much water it takes to do a chip manufacturing plant. I know. And I, that, that was a surprising thing to learn about one of the reasons that Columbus was chosen, you know, not only the land out in New Albany, but then the access to water. Um, I didn't realize that that was so important. And the access to water, there's a misconception. Somehow they think they're dredging the water out of Lake Erie and pumping it down there. It's not. This is water that's it's right there. Yeah. And and what makes this the shocking aspect, I think that uh, it's well into the 90% it gets uh, recycled back into the plant. That's why they need the valves and the clarity, the purity of all that yep. uh, to make sure it's, it goes. So yeah, it's it's for us. It's pretty exciting. We see it as a as a brand new market. Uh, it used to be a big market for us twenty years ago, twenty five years ago. But now it's all coming back. I think I, I believe that's what's going to happen. We better get on the move on it because when when they're launching big balloons over our missile systems this week, it's, I know it's a scary thing. I know that was a wild story to follow. You know, at first everybody thought it was a joke. Then it was not a joke quickly. And then are we? Sh- I mean, it was just yeah, just another week, right? Yeah, but that's the reason why the reshoring and chips. We, we really have to accelerate the pace on this week because yep. uh, who knows what, you know, whether do we have a year, two years, five years? Who knows? It's unknown. Yep. I want to go back to a point you made about tooling you and how in the beginning, you know, teachers were a little worried that, you know, online education may take their jobs or replace them or whatever. There seems to continue to be, and I think for some valid reasons, that AI is going to affect every job that we currently know. I want to get your opinion on the concept of, you know, are robots going to take all of our jobs and how AI will affect manufacturing in the next 10 years? Because it already has, but Uh, how will it continue? And I always love that uh, because we have robots around the building. Uh, We have automation systems. As a matter of fact, we manufacture the most sophisticated electric screwdriver in the world here at Juergens. People don't realize that in our ASG group. And Part of that is that these are not your your home screwdriver. These are you know, eight thousand dollars a screwdriver. So you're you're not going to find that in your uh, in Home uh, Depot, home, home, home Depot, <laughs> or a place like that. Uh, but what it does is it then gets hooked up to an AI uh, piece of equipment, and it takes that eight thousand dollars screwdriver, and makes it a fifty thousand dollars screwdriver or a three hundred thousand dollars screwdriver because you're combining the best and brightest together. What we have found in our own uh, business, we manufacture some uh, quick release pins and they're used on aerospace, defense, entertainment. There's just no way in the world that we would be able to keep up with the demand if we didn't have uh, robotics and automation. And so we went from zero product 
on this when we started it because it was a brand new industry to now, I think we have probably 50 employees alone in that section. But for the fact we had the automation, it'd still be about six to eight employees uh, because we were able to satisfy large quantity demands, but also be able to respond to, hey, somebody needs uh, 50 of these for the desert to go into uh, the back of a Humvee on a military piece of equipment. So we had the, the luxury or the responsibility of doing both ends of the scale. And AI, I, I think we're going to find out, is going to benefit on both ends of the scale. It's going to increase opportunities, going to do pl- things that, that were boring. And when, when this thing comes off, it assembles the part, it checks the part, it verifies the accuracy, it verifies the pull test, all things that we would have would have been doing as, as sub-tests ourselves. Yeah, manually. I'm happy to hear that. I think there are some doomsday people with AI, which, you know, maybe that's headlines, maybe that's clickbait. You know, it, it, it gets a little old to read. So it's it's good to hear someone in the industry talk about how exactly it's getting used right now and, and how they think it's going to evolve. That's that's a that's a positive sentiment about AI. I want to shift gears a little bit to your role as county councilman and how that intersects with your role at Jurgens. Um, and then more specifically, you know, in your opinion, what is the role of county government in helping make a successful workforce ecosystem? It was one of those, your paths crossed at a certain point. Uh, unfortunately, Cuyahoga County became known as the corruption capital for the United States. Um, I did not know that. So we, we were up there challenging the, our, our uh, Chicago friends for <laughs> corruption and uh, things of that nature. I, I don't know if we're ever going to catch up to Illinois having... Th- what, four of their last five governors that uh, have been incarcerated. Uh, so I don't think we're going to quite catch that, and I hope we don't. Yeah, that's a, that's a one. That's a trend you don't want to catch. <laughs> no, no. Well, we got, we got pretty good. We had 64 people arrested uh, out of county government, and all the senior members uh, of uh, county government, uh, almost every one of them went to jail. Jeez. Uh, and, and what was the so time frame for this? This would have been 14 years ago. Okay. Uh, so it was uh, a, a county corruption scandal, and the taxpayers finally said, let's start something new. Uh, let's throw out this county commissioner form of government. Let's create a legislative and executive branch uh, with checks and balances, just like you have at the federal level and the state level, things like that. And so that's what we did. Uh, 12 years ago, somebody said, hey, Jack, why don't you bring your business background to this new new form of government? And so I, I ran against 10 other people for a newly elected seat of uh, on, on the county government. And uh, they said, hey, be I got elected uh, over those other 10 people. And uh, then they said, because you've got some business acumen, uh, why don't we put you in charge of the legislative side on uh, economic development? And so I didn't back up fast enough on that one either. And so I work with uh, the executive responsibility has economic development and legislative has the money. And so together, it's very similar to what you see in, in D.C., that the legislative branch is the, is the financial eyes and ears and the executive branch is the execution. And so it's been a rewarding place to be. It's been uh, fun to share a business background with non-business people on, the, on that have been in politics their entire lives uh, and to watch how we can do this. And so that's been a, a way in which I've been in charge of the economic development piece uh, on the legislative side for the last 12 years. And uh, there's been uh, an ED director on the other side uh, who actually has to pull the, the levers to get things moving on the, on the to actually execute it. So what are your expectations now? I mean, that that had to be a multi-year cleanup project, not only internally, but expectations from the public and you know how they viewed the county government. What are your expectations under the new administration, um, maybe even particularly on the workforce front? I uh, work with a previous county executive on a new concept. 
which was a sector partnership training program around uh, this. And he and I worked on setting aside some funds to actually create uh, these buckets uh, to go after three sectors. I disagree with the three sectors, but that's okay. I'm on the legislative side. uh, So the three sectors were manufacturing, medical, and uh, IT. And so I agreed with the IT. I I agree with the medical. I agree with the manufacturing because obviously Northeastern Ohio has probably one of the largest medical communities between Cleveland Clinic, the UH, Metro Health, and uh, a large VA hospital. So I didn't have any disagreement about the concept. IT, I said, is really not a sector, in my opinion. Everybody uses IT. IT is embedded in medical. IT is embedded in, you don't go out looking for IT companies in Northeast Ohio. Uh, so, but anyway, I didn't win that one. Did win the argument of saying, let's pick one to go first. If you pick three, it's going to fail. And so we mm-hmm. did pick one. And the one that we picked, I know you're going to be shocked at this, Paul. Uh, <laughs> you won this argument too. It's good. I, I did win this argument. I did win this argument <laughs> that, that, ma- that manufacturing should be the first one. Yep. Because we're, you know, we're, we're semi, as a group, we don't work directly with Lincoln, but we're kind of organized and we all have a common mission. We all need to work workforce. We need people. We need all that. So, so there was a common objective that we all brought to the table. Whereas uh, the medical, they kind of eat their young uh, over between one hospital stealing another person's doctor, nurse, fill in the blank. Uh, out there. And so I said, let's, let's take it one step at a time. Let, let's start here. Let's start with manufacturing, then move to medical and then move to IT. And so I was able to convince them to do that. And so what we did that was kind of revolutionary is that we had uh, uh, a sector partnership that was hundred percent led by the manufacturers. Uh, wow. And so we are the driving force, not to get cocky, but we brought what we needed to the table. We brought our suggestions and we even brought some of our failings, of course, uh, that we had brought to the table. Some of the bigger companies still had checked the box on their employment application, meaning that if you had a felony conviction, you had to check the box and you were almost automatically eliminated from consideration. Uh, So we all brought this together and it was amazing how we gelled. We did a facilitator that that kept us on track. So we identified a target. We are working towards that target. But for the, the, the pandemic, we would probably be close to that right now. Uh, our target was 3,000 employees that we are we're going to take. That's the open jobs right now in Northeastern Ohio in manufacturing. And we believe that's going to happen. And 3,000 are going to go to 4,000. 4,000 is going to go to 5,000. Yeah, it'll keep growing. Yeah, we're going to keep growing. Yeah. And one of the first groups that we got to, to be successful is we got to check the box off of all those big, all those major corporations forms. So now during the pandemic, we created a a training program, education program to bring second chance individuals. And so we have placed well over, I think we're probably 250 individuals have now been placed. Our, our company alone has, I think, five uh, second chance individuals at Jurgens alone. And of that group, Paul, what do you, how many think days of recidivism we have out of that entire group of 250? I'll, I'll just, just, just fast forward, zero. Wow. We don't have one, not one single day has anybody gone back into incarceration after getting a job dedication, a commitment from both the manufacturer and the individual together. It's, it's phenomenal. Wow. That's, I mean, I, I'm sure that is shared places, but that should be shared on a daily basis. You know what I mean? I mean, that's fantastic. We're trying to work with the governor to actually push this one step beyond that. For all you Willy Wonka fans and the golden ticket, we believe that we could actually have a golden ticket that would expunge the records for these individuals. The governor has an expunging at 10 years. I said, why wait 10? If that employee has come to work for five years yeah, and we can document that, the society benefits immensely. And it costs about $65,000 to incarcerate an individual. For one year? Yeah, for a year. Oh, yeah. Well, you got food, resources, facilities. 
heat, light, power, supervision, yep. uh, all that stuff. And so if you can go from a $65,000 expense for the state to a $35,000 taxpayer at times that 250, just, yep. just do the Delta on that. I mean, you don't even have to get into the social concept of it. Just get into the pure financial. Yep. So it becomes very, very easy. And our group is now taking and looking at the next level, which we've been doing at Jurgens for, for 10 years, which is special needs kids. Oh, um, nice. That's great. We have a, a program with CVAC, which is a special needs program at uh, one of the local high schools. And they come in from 16 different school districts to a single point, And then they get taken uh, on their school buses out to Jurgens, to the food bank and places like that. We have two school teachers that greet them every day when they get off the school bus. This is our, our 10th year of That's having awesome. special needs kids. We have, we have 20 this year. And so our sector partnership is looking at how can we bring in special needs? How can we bring in autistic kids? Uh, how can we bring in second chance? And so when they when people talk about inclusion, yep. generally their definition is is race and gender. And our definition is is really big. And we yep. said we have no limitations in manufacturing. Yep. That's it's great. Kind of fun. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a really good story. Jack, this has been fantastic. We really appreciate it. We're gonna get you out of here on this question. You were born in Chagrin Falls. Uh, Chagrin has a rich culinary scene. Give us your favorite food place there, or you can pick in Cleveland, whatever you want. But what's your go-to, uh, you know, post-work spot? Oh my, that's a tough question because Chagrin's I know, usually school. is the hardest question. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Boutique is a Brazilian restaurant that's it's in town. We love that. If you are bringing somebody from Ooh, out of okay. town, we love to go to 17 River Street uh, because the views are, there's not a better place to have a meal than overlooking the Chagrin uh, Falls. If you want to have a a great place to have a happy hour. Uh, I'd go to M. And uh, if you want to have an upscale meal, you go to JoJo's. Uh, those are all uh, three of our, or four of our favorites out there. And if you want to have a, a tucked away little hideaway, go to the Paris room. It's a well-kept secret tucked behind the shopping center. And you have to really almost know somebody. It's almost like a speakeasy to find it. It's it's so cool. Nice. I love those type of spots. Those are great. Man, you had those yeah. ready. That was easy for you. Well, it's only because I'm a, I'm a foodie and I love it. And if you want to have fun, go to Stir. Stir is right there on the hill and you'll okay. have a fabulous meal. It's They have one downtown, but this is the Stir Chagrin Falls where you can actually learn to, the culinary skills of cooking uh, Indian food, uh, Brazilian food. Uh, it, it's it's really cool. Well, I uh, I appreciate all the recommendations. Next time I'm up there, I will check out at least one of those. I'm also looking forward to hopefully at some point uh, stopping by Jurgens and checking out this awesome coffee maker that you have. Get a cappuccino and, and walk around the floor. That would be pretty fantastic. And that, that 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 really is one of the things that uh, I don't want to overdo my welcome. But you don't walk on our factory floor. We don't have a factory. No. Well, there you go. So that's that's helpful to know. Yeah, it's a technology distribution center uh-huh. where you're going to see a deployment of the technologies. It's really shocking when a teacher comes through. They said, "Holy crap!" So that's where you use physics. So this is where you use trig, because <laughs> we're actually. I mean, yeah. when was the last time you used trig? If you were graduating high school, probably never, unless you were in a production facility. Never. And so, you're going to see lasers, coordinated yep. measure machines, robots, five-axis machining. And so you're going to see all the things, all the latest and greatest. And we'd love to have you come by, Paul. That's awesome. Thank you so much again, Jack. We appreciate it. Best of luck with everything this year, and we'll talk with you soon. Thanks much. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Rust Belt Rundown. Make sure you check us out at rustbeltrecruiting.com. The Rust Belt Rundown is available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and click on five stars if you enjoyed this episode. See you next time.